I titled my sermon today, Overcoming Through Worship, because that's so true. We overcome through worship. We press in no matter how we feel, and we overcome. You know, we declare the truth. You know, we prophesy the truth over ourselves and over our families and over everything as we sing these things. It's not always how we feel. But before we get into that, I just want to, there's a song out there called Surrounded. It's by Upper Room. Uh, the worshiper's name is Alyssa Smith. And I wanted to read you this song. And uh, verse one says, there is a table that you have prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. It's your body and your blood you shed for me. This is how I fight my battles. I believe you overcome, and I will lift my song of praise for what you've done. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Some of you got the, the melody going. This is how I fight my battles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, verse 2. In the valley, I know that you are with me. Surely your goodness and mercy follow me. My weapons are praise and thanksgiving. This is how I fight my battles. And then we sing, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And many of you already know that this is scripture, that she wrote this song from the word of God. Isn't that some of the best worship songs? They're just songs that are just straight scripture, right? I think it's because it's like the very heartbeat of God, right? We believe that the word is inspired by God, right? It's God breathed. It's God's actual heart that we're reading. And when we take that and put it in our heart and begin to sing it back to him, it like moves him. He just like wants to be with us. It's just, it's a powerful experience. But many of you know that this comes from a psalm. It was a song that, that the Holy Spirit inspired David to write. This is Psalm 23, and I'm going to read through it. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, and, and every time I hear the Lord is my shepherd, I, I just want to go King James for some reason. <laughs> I shall not want, <laughs> but I'm not going to read King James to you. Uh, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I heard a song, or I heard a sermon back uh, when I was in Idaho years ago when my kids were really, really little, and we used to pass around CDs. You know, I, I, some of you still do this. You got a sermon, and you're like, hey, I got this sermon. You should listen to it. And we pass around CDs. Today, people don't have CD players. We just, we, let me airdrop it to you, you know. Let me share a sermon with you here. <laughs> airdrop, right? But, like, we, I, I got this CD, and it was from a guy named Graham Cook. And he gave this illustration of this psalm, and I wanted to share it with you this morning. But, like, so he's in this battlefield. Like, br imagine Braveheart. If you've seen Braveheart, maybe you haven't. But, like, they're running into battle, and they're taking out the enemy. And they, they take out this first wave of soldiers, and their arms are so heavy that he can't even lift their sword anymore, right? And then they look up, and here's another wave of an enemy that looks even more fierce and more tough and harder to, to fight. And they're thinking, he's thinking, there's no way. I'm going to be able to take, we're going to be able to win. There's no way we're going to be able to win. Like, I can barely lift my sword. This is going to happen. And he looks over, and this is a dream, right? So this is how dreams usually go. And there's a guy wearing a tuxedo with a servant towel over his arm. Doesn't fit the picture at all, right? And he says, would you like the melon or the soup? And he's going, he does a double take, and he's like, what are you talking about? Can't you see what's going on here? And as these enemies charging them, and he just says, would you like the melon or the soup? He says, don't you understand what's happening right now? Can't you see what's happening? And he instantly wakes up. 
And he hears the Lord say, I've prepared a table before you in the, amongst your enemies. And he starts saying, Lord, I'll take the soup. I'll take the soup. <laughs> but that's the psalm. The psalm is, Lord, you prepare a way. These are things that we can sing and we can overcome. Um, our worship, our praise and our worship is how we wage war. You know, we wage war. Sometimes we just, we got to sing. Someone said this to me yesterday. We got to sing until we're strong, you know. We just got to press in until we, you know, we feel his presence. We always teach that around here in worship. Like we want to worship into his presence. Because where he is, we know there's all the things we need, right? It's like if here's God and here's Jared, it's like when I start to sing and praise and worship and give him his rightful place, I like align my heart with his and all the things, all the problems of the world just seem to fade when we're, when we're in his presence, right? Anxiety's gone, depression's gone, frustration's gone, all the worries from work, everything just kind of melts when we're in the presence of God as we worship him. And, and it's not, we don't feel it, right? It's not a feeling. We, we're prophesying and we're speaking the truth that we know is true over us even though we don't feel it. We're saying, we're saying, God, you're good. God, you're good. And maybe we're like... We're struggling, but we press in because we know if we declare the truth that it's stronger than, than the way we feel. Amen. Worship is offering prayer as we stand in the gap for what God says will come to pass. Some of us need to worship for situations for other people. You know, prayer and worship, are, they're like, they're, they're so close, right? Like we, could, we can sing and, and, and fight a battle for someone else. Sometimes you'll hear worship singers or worship leaders say, sing it over, Right? Sing it over the city. Sing it over your family. Sing it over your situation, right? Where we're just declaring that that's a prayer. You're taking this thing and you're singing it over. Um, we're declaring the truth no, ma no matter what's going on, no matter what we feel. Worship is staying true when other things shake. And recently as I've been worshiping here with you guys, I, I hear the Lord speak to me. When, I, when we get together and we worship, I, I start to hear the Lord speak to me. And I've heard him say things like, uh, establish. And the Lord's been kind of working out this idea that he established things. Like he created the heavens and the earth and he established them, right? And they can't be shaken. Like the things that God does can't be shaken. Like he establishes things. He establishes our faith. And then this word submission came to me when I was worshiping last week. And just this idea of like submitting to the Lord. That's what we do when we worship. We're submitting to the Lord. We're trusting in him. We're putting our faith in him. We're believing he is good. We're submitting no matter how we feel to, to, to God and, and who he is. We're just, so these, so as we worship him, it's a, it's a, it's a conversation. It's not always just us, you know, throwing things up, but he wants to talk to us too. He wants to speak to your heart. He wants to tell you the things he feels about you, the way he feels about you. Some songs we even sing as if we're singing a, a prophetic song over you, like this is God's heart. And sometimes people are singing them and they're going, well, I'm not understanding this song. But that it, sometimes we sing a song, it's from God's heart to you. It's a conversation. I started out writing this sermon and I was going to write how Jesus was our rock. And I've been reading in Matthew, Jesus is the rock, right? Or Bible reading plan had us there today. But um, I was, I've been doing a deep, a deep dive in the book of Colossians, the letter of Colossians, and something just kind of struck me about prayer and worship in chapter one. And so I want to read from Colossians today. But before we jump into our text, which we're going to be reading from chapter one, 
I want to give a little context to the story of Paul. Many of you know the story. You could probably come up and tell the story yourself. And Pastor Benny even told us a little bit of the story, right? Paul was on, was on the road to Damascus. He was Saul. He had a radical conversion. He got blinded. He had this, Ananias came and all this stuff happened, right? He got saved. And some of us think that Paul maybe just went on the mission field after that. He was just, he just went on the mission field. But he had 14 some years of like, of waiting on the Lord and, and training and preparation for these missions that he go on. And then he went on multiple missions. So these are years, right, where he's traveling into what is today Turkey, Asia Minor, we would say, and, and Greece. And he's traveling around and he's planting churches and he's, he's preaching the good news to the Gentiles. And so then he, even, he ends up going back to Jerusalem where he gets imprisoned, right? If you follow through the book of Acts, you can read that. And he gets really discouraged and Jesus shows up and he says, don't worry, Paul, I got you. We're gonna, you're going to make it to Rome. And he encourages him. And, and that, was a, that was a trip in itself too, right? They were shipwrecked on uh, Malta. Yeah, and I mean, there's, so there's a big, long story. And you can imagine, I can imagine if I was Timothy, right? Who was like the pastor he put in charge at Ephesus, like waiting for Paul. Has anyone heard from Paul? Apparently he left Jerusalem. Has anyone heard where he's at? And he's waiting, he's waiting. This is, we don't have phones. <laughs> he's had to send messengers out and wait for days for return message. Nope, nothing. Haven't heard from Paul. Finally, a message comes to Timothy that, hey, Paul's in Rome. Paul's in Rome. And so like, I can imagine his excitement because he's got all sorts of things going on in the church of Ephesus and the church of Colossae. And so he sends a messenger to tell him what's happening in the churches. And to give you an understanding of where the church of Colossae is, Ephesus is in a port city along the, the coast of what is Turkey. And it's a pretty big city. It's about the same size of, if you ever go to Spokane, that's, that's a pretty big city. That's about the size that Ephesus was. Well, if you go inland from there to the main road that goes north and south, where the goods would have been coming out of the sea and then traveling north and south, there was three cities. There was Laodicea, Colossae, and Heropolis. And so this is, there. it's like a little tri-city area right there. And, and many of you know, we've talked about Laodicea before. And we've talked about how in Revelation, that was the, you're either hot or you're cold. No, you're lukewarm and spew you out of your mouth. That was that city. Even actually the book, the end of Colossians says, read this letter out loud to the church of Laodicea and read their letter out loud at your church. And we don't have the letter to Laodicea, from Laodicea. It apparently is lost. But these letters were meant to be shared and read out loud. And um, the theme of Colossians is Jesus is supreme. And uh, this, this culture is rooted heavily in Greek mythology and, and pagan worship, too. And they have lots of issues that are going on. As Paul gets this report, they have people who are obviously intellectuals. They're dealing with some people who are saying stuff about angel worship. And they've got these weird people called Gnostics who believe that everything has to be spiritual and and, and everything physical is bad. And then they've got the Jews who are super religious. You need to get circumcised or eat a kosher diet. So we've got all, all these issues going on in the church. And Paul sends them a good, or Timothy probably sends the guy with a good report and, a, and the report of the concerns, like, what do I do? And so we're going to pick up there here in uh, verse 9. Because Paul, well, the first part of the letter, Paul just says, thank you, Right? And I don't think that's just like a way for him to write a letter just to say thank you. I think he really was thankful. 
I think he had worked really hard in ministry and he had dealt with, if we think of like the book of Corinthians, you know, he had dealt with a lot of hard things. And when he heard of their faith, of a church he didn't even plant, he didn't plant the church in Colossae. He planted Ephesus and that was an outgrowth of Ephesus. And he heard that it's working. People are believing. They're, They're believing that Jesus redeems. They're starting to love one another. And so he's super thankful to hear that this church is growing. And he hears also the concerns And the first thing he does is he prays. And this is verse 9. This is a prayer that Paul prays for them. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard about it, have not ceased pray for you, and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For what? For the attaining of all perseverance and patience. And then verse 12 here, in my Bible actually subdivided 12 and 13 up, which I don't think that was Holy Spirit inspired. If you didn't know, the little numbers in there are not necessarily, and the chapters are not inspired by, they're just some Bible scholars who are trying to organize and the Bible for us, which we're thankful for. But If we read 12 here and 13, we will see that they actually go together. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share an inheritance of the saints. That's the set apart ones. The saints of light. Say light. All right. For what? And mine breaks it up, but we're going to, this is still the prayer. Paul's still praying. For he rescued us from a dominion of darkness. There's a clear dichotomy here between light and darkness. That, that Paul is praying like, you are children of light. You have an inheritance. You are set apart. You are now light. He says, I've rescued you from the dominion of darkness, and I've transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That was a memory verse growing up. Uh, I don't know if anyone else had that as a memory verse. Nope. Okay, just me. <laughs> you guys aren't going to respond, you know, just listening. Sorry. Um, get, but there's this clear, di- there's this a prayer. But I think the scholars were like, well, no, this is where the song starts. Because the next section of scripture here is actually disputed. Like people argue whether the book of Colossians was actually written by Paul. There's, there's scholars out there that there's disputed letters of Paul. One of the things they say about Colossians is this next section of scripture from, from 13 to 20 something doesn't sound like anything else Paul wrote. But it doesn't sound like anything else Paul wrote because he's quoting a hymn or a poem or a song that they typically would have sang or quoted or even chanted or just read out loud together. This is a way of worship. The church would have known this. So he's praying for them and then he goes into worship. And today as we're just talking about how worship overcomes, I thought this is this is so powerful that he overcome that that Paul is Paul's doing it. The things that we're talking about, like the church is, is pray, they're praying and they're worshiping. That's how they're overcoming. Um, and so my first point for you today is that Jesus is redemption. Um, this, this section of scripture we just read, uh, I, I preached a sermon. I don't remember how long ago, but you go back. I've only preached a couple times, <laughs> and, but I preached on it. I preached on how, how we're filled with spiritual knowledge and we're, we bear fruit and how we're fortified by the strength of God, the power of God that saved and rose Jesus from the dead, same strength that God fortifies and strengthens us. But then I stopped my teaching there, but the prayer goes on, the song goes on, and that's, that's Jesus is the redeemer. 
You know, they're dealing with angels in Colossae. It's not angels. They're dealing with Jews. It's not tradition. They're dealing with this spiritual, weird Gnostic people, and it's not... They're, they're like very uh, self-sacrificing type people. Like, you know, we're going to deny our flesh because it's evil, and they're starving themselves. Like, it's not... It's nothing, none of that. Nothing else will do. It's Jesus is the redeemer. And Paul's making it really clear here. Like, you have been transferred into a kingdom of light in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the redeemer. Nothing else will do. Uh, Wednesday night, we've been singing a song that says, nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. I just want you. And we just sing that over and over. Like, that's not how the song goes. Like, Cody Carnes, if he showed up, he'd be like, you're not singing my song right. <laughs> we, but there's just, there's something about that. Like, nothing else will do, God. Nothing else will do. I just want you. I just want you. But the, here's the verses from his song. It says, I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. That always reminds me of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha's in the background cleaning and cooking and complaining and he says, this shall not be taken from her, Martha, you know, like just sitting at Jesus' feet. I'm caught up in your presence, God. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. You know, when, we, when God shows up, it's holy, right? He's holy. The angels in heaven right now are around the throne, Revelations 4, and, and, and they're, they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Like where God is, there is holiness because he is holy. Like when he shows up, when we're in his presence, you know, the reason we get convicted and we get right with God is because he's holy. The second part of the song says, I'm not here for a blessing, Jesus. You don't owe me anything. It, more than anything that you can do for me, God. So many times we come to church because we need God to do stuff for us. So many times we, we start praying because we need God to do something for us or we're, we're struggling but this song that, that, that here about nothing else will do, God. Nothing else will do. I just want you. It's like nothing you can do for me. I just want to be with you, Jesus. But Jesus is the redeemer, and nothing else will do. He is the only way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one can get to the Father except through him. And Jesus did more than just pay for our sins and make a way to heaven. He has now enlisted us into the army. It says that we're ambassadors of Christ. He's enlisted us into this army, and we've been talking about spiritual warfare. We've been talking about how to overcome with the word and how to allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us. And I think it's so important that we learn to worship, and, and not just singing. Like, worship is great. Corporate worship is awesome. We love to sing together. We love, I mean, something special when the church comes together and we begin to sing. And man, I learned to worship from my dad, and, and my dad, he couldn't, he couldn't carry a tune. Like, but everyone knew that if you sat in front of Dennis, then you were going to hear him sing because he loves to worship and he just sing all, with all his heart. And I remember being a young, a young boy in church and seeing my dad sing. And I mean, I think I got my gifting from my mom, but, but, but my dad, he taught me how to worship. You know, if we want to teach people how to worship, if we want to be disciple makers, right? This is a house of discipleship and we want to teach people how to worship. We got to, you know, Jesus a lot of times is caught, Right? We see people doing stuff, you know. We could teach you. You can sit your, your children down or someone, maybe you're discipling someone, and you can tell them to read a book or talk to them about something, but if they don't see you living it, they don't see you doing it, then they're just not going to believe. Jesus is more caught than taught. Like, my, my heart for our church is that we would be a house of worship, that we would just, people would desire to be in the house to, 
There's nothing special about the front row, but how awesome would it be if, like, people were running into the church excited to be in his presence and, you know, filling up every row and um, just to be where he is. Um, I, always, I said that to you earlier that I love not worshiping with 9 o'clock because it's about our heart posture. It's about coming before him. It's not necessarily our physical posture. Yeah, our physical posture is good. You know, sometimes we raise our hands and, and, we, and, we, and we, we're really pressing in because we know this is surrender or you're, you're worthy, you deserve praise. And so our physical posture is us trying to press in to, to be in his presence. But, but someone could be sitting down the whole service and be worshiping God and their hearts could be true and they could be, you know, it's usually the, un, the, the, the person you don't think that's, you know, really worshiping God. And just because people, sometimes we get it confused because we create a platform so that you can see us as we lead. Sometimes we get it confused that this means something it doesn't, you know. We're worshiping Jesus. He's our shepherd. He's the king. He's the one. Uh, obviously, we need people to lead us. <laughs> we need people to help lead us into his presence. But we need, pe- we need the people to show up hungry for worship. That's why I always say I love worshiping with you guys at 9 o'clock because you come ready, you come expectant, you come ready just to give him praise and worship. Today we can wage war in the spirit. We do it in worship. Just like Paul, we can declare God's redemption, his salvation, his grace, his freedom. We can declare his glory. We'll shout his name. We can put things on our walls at our house. We can decorate. We can wear crosses. We can, we can buy clothes to say, I love Jesus. We can do all sorts of things that tell the world, you know, like this is, this is, this is my God. I worship, you know, if they go into our homes, our, our house is playing worship music. Are, are we filling our homes with worship? I had someone come up last night after I I preached this and they said I, I was really struggling and, and I went home and I just turned on worship music for, and I just had to worship. I had to worship until I, until I felt his peace, felt him make me strong. Um, so picking back up in our scripture here, this is verse 15. Uh, he is the image of the invisible God. This is the song that they, they would have sang. And it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and and in him all things hold together. So my second point for you today is that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is higher. Jesus is greater. All things are through him. All things are for him. All things are by him. We love that song, you're worthy of it all, right? You know, it's like that picture of taking our crowns off and casting them. In Revelations, we see the elders casting their, 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 their crowns before, because like, not me, you, you're worthy. But there's a line in there, and we've sang it on Wednesday nights a few times, but it says, for from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. And I don't know what it was, but I remember listening to that song, and I said, let's just sing those two lines. And so we just sang those two lines like maybe 10 times on a Wednesday night, and we just pressed in, and, and it, was, it was powerful. And then reading through Colossians, doing this study, I was like, ha, ah, it's right there. Like, I've read it. I knew it was there, but it was like, you know, one of those moments where God's like, hey, yeah, yeah that was me. That was me, Jared, yeah. But... Um, I think songs that are from Scripture are just so powerful that give him his rightful place. 
Um, and we have a famous theologian, many of us know him by name, and he preached through a book, uh, the book of Hebrews, and many of you are here for that. And I want to read you, these are in your notes so you can follow along, but he preached through the book of Hebrews and he's talking about Jesus' preeminency, his, uh, how he is the image of the invisible God, how he is, all things are through him and for him and by him. And so I just want to read this together. Um, and it says, when we look at Jesus, we see someone who is exactly like the Father in terms of beauty, holiness, moral character, and will. In him, we see God being God in human flesh. To begin with, we are told he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Though we cannot see the Father because he is spirit, we can see the glory of Jesus who became flesh. Only momentarily did Jesus shine with divine light during the days of his earthly ministry, which we read about in Matthew 17 when Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yet to see him in his humanity was to see the holiness of God which such light emanates. This is what Jesus was trying to explain to Philip when he said, Have I been with you so long, Philip, yet you have not come to know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. He accurately reflects on earth the heart and the personality of God. In him, the image and the likeness of God are fully and perfectly formed. Being joined to human flesh did not diminish Jesus' role as an earthly son of God. Instead, it actually increased it. The next statement of the verse, and this is, this is Hebrews 1, the verse is an example of his exalted position. It says he upholds all things by the word of his power. This means that the universe continues to exist because he commanded it, and it will be destroyed when he commands it. The decision of when that will take place is up to the Father, but it will be, be spoken by the Son. In Colossians, this is our scripture, bringing it back to our scripture. It says, in Colossians, Paul revealed another way by which Jesus upholds all things. In that passage, Paul says, in him, all things hold together or stand together. In other words, it is by Jesus' authority and command that the very atoms of the physical universe are held together. Like, all things are through him and for him. Like Paul's dealing with issues in the church, in Ephesus, in Asia Minor, in Colossae. I mean, they said, read these letters out loud all over the different churches. So, like, the, the churches are struggling with these issues. And I think we struggle with issues. I think we struggle with doctrinal issues. I think we struggle with personal issues. I think we struggle uh, with, with financial issues. You know, we, we struggle with parenting. We struggle with, with business transactions and business deals and, and my boss at work and, and, and the people I've hired. And, and we just struggle with all sorts of things. And we get worried and we get stressed and we get, some of us begin to get sad and maybe even are struggling with depression some of us are struggling with anger. We're just really frustrated and we're angry and we're, we're, we just need to release things to the Lord. And this morning, I believe that God already has dealt with a lot of stuff as we worshiped him, but we want to worship again. We wanna, we're going to go back into worship and we're going to sing that song, This Is How I Fight My Battles. Because we, we want to leave from here, walking out full of the Holy Spirit, free. We want to be people who are free to go do God's work today, Right? 
to do kingdom business today as we go from here. And we don't want to give anything to the enemy. We don't want to allow anything. Maybe it's pride that's holding me back to say, yeah, I need prayer. Maybe it's fear that's holding you back from saying, oh, I can't come forward and, and, and do something radical, like come forward and raise my hands. That's just not me, Pastor Jared. I'm the guy who sits in the middle row where nobody notices and their worship, I put my hands in my pocket and I sing, you know. But maybe God, maybe you're not. Maybe you're the radical guy jumping up and down. But I think God wants to encounter us this morning as we worship. Whatever we're going through, whatever battle we're fighting, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of the air. This is spiritual warfare as we worship. So what I want to do this morning is Jonathan's going to lead us in this song. Is I just want to open up the front. If that's you and you just need to do something. Sometimes we do something physical and it releases something spiritual. Sometimes when you take a step of faith, sometimes you really need to take a physical step to say, okay, God, that's me. I need, to, I need this thing broken. I need free from this. I need freedom for maybe it's someone else. Maybe God, maybe God has been burdening you with someone and you've been interceding and praying for someone for years And you just want to come before the Lord and declare it in a song and say, Lord, this is how I fight my battles. In the presence of my enemies, you set a table. And so we declare this morning together at once, out loud, Jesus the Redeemer. Jesus the Redeemer. Jesus is supreme. Jesus the victor. Over every situation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Lord, I pray today, God, as we go, Lord, you begin to open our spiritual eyes, enlarge the, the eyes of our heart, God. Give us spiritual wisdom and revelation, spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would come and you would show us how to worship how to make worship part of our life every day, Jesus. Give us a zeal and a passion for your name, God, that we would be excited to be in church, Lord. We pray that for our whole church, Jesus, to to be ready and hungry to be in your presence, God, where you are. Lord, we just, we we do, we will worship you today, Jesus. We give you honor, we give you glory, we give you praise. You deserve worship in all we do. Everything we do, Jesus, we, we, we just declare it now that you are the redeemer. You are supreme. You are the victor, and everything we need is in you, Jesus. And we can access it in prayer and in worship, God. So, Lord, op- open our eyes. Give us wisdom, Jesus. Yeah, we pray this in your name. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.